Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Hello and welcome. I'm Patrick Curtis, your host and chief monkey, and this is the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Join me as I talk to some of the community's most successful and inspirational members to gain valuable insight into different career paths and life in general. Let's get to it. In this episode, member Benioff III shares his unlikely path from a non-target school on the East Coast to one of the top VC funds on the West Coast. We learn how he broke into investment banking at a middle market shop, why he lateraled to a bulge bracket in tech M&A, and eventually why he made the leap to VC. Listen to some great tips on how to position yourself to make a successful transition into venture capital, as well as how he got comfortable starting his own business after only one year in VC. Enjoy. All right, Benioff III, thanks so much for joining the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Absolutely. Thanks for, thanks for having me. So it'd be great if you could just give the listeners a short summary of your bio. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I grew up on the East Coast and did my undergrad uh, at a non-course school also on the East Coast. And then uh, after undergrad, I uh, came out to the West Coast doing uh, middle market tech coverage at a uh, at an investment bank in San Francisco. Uh, I lateraled after a couple of years to uh, to do tech M&A at a, at a bulge bracket bank uh, that I spent a little bit of time in venture capital. And, and, and then uh, this past year, I, I left VC to, to be the founder of a software company. Awesome. Thank you for that. So let's jump all the way back to undergrad. So was finance on the radar for you? Um, Cause it doesn't look, it doesn't look like it. It looks like, yeah, okay. it looks like you were more like STEM. Is that fair? Yes. So, so really tech was on the radar early on for me. Uh, I did, uh, I did internships at, at tech companies the, the first couple of summers and um, I got interested in the finance side of what was happening at those tech companies. I, um, you know, one, one of them was uh, raising a venture round at the time that I was there. One of them did a big M&A deal during the time that I was there and that, that was uh, kind of what got me interested uh, uh, in, I guess, what I would call the intersection of, of tech and finance. Um, and from there, I had conversations with uh, with some alumni who were working on Wall Street and uh, and tried to learn more about what finance was about. And that was what pushed me towards investment banking. Did you end up planning uh, an inter- internship in your junior summer? Then? I, I did, yeah. I um, I was. How did you get that through alum, or through, and, and why was it was it at the bank you ended up with, at uh, on the West Coast? Uh, yeah, it was. So, uh, so my process for uh, for internship 
recruiting was that that uh, that sophomore summer when I was uh, in New York working at a tech company and I was exploring um, exploring more finance related roles. I I had a lot of uh, networking chats, uh, you know, coffees, things like that with uh, with alumni from my school. Um, and then you know th- this was back when junior internship recruiting was in in the fall and even the spring of your junior year <laughs> so, believe it or not so yeah. Uh, so yeah i i went back uh up to school after my internship and and in the coming months i stayed in touch with um with a number of the alumni who i had met over the summer when their application processes opened up uh, I said, hey, I'm applying. Uh, would you be willing to support my application? And ultimately, the internship that I accepted was from, uh, it, it, was, it was at a bank that I had met an alumni who was, uh, who was working at the firm at the time. Did you uh, meet the alums through like just general emails you got from the career center or were you like on LinkedIn or using it? Yeah, it it was, it was a little bit more proactive than that. It was, it was mostly through LinkedIn and then also through um, one thing that was super helpful for me was uh, other students who were um, one, two, three years older than myself who had Mm. also recruited for, for these types of finance positions, Uh, you know, turning to them and saying, which alumni were receptive to your outreach? Which ones do you have existing relationships with from when you were recruiting who you mm-hmm. could potentially introduce me to? Cool. And did you, um, was this role for the summer, was it in like a specific, was it like equity research, M&A, specific coverage group? Do you- yes. So uh, so the summer internship at, uh, at the middle market firm at which I interned it was generalist within the investment banking division so okay uh, so i spent the summer doing uh healthcare and tech and industrials um you know focused on mid-market ma and 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 capital raising and then um i got the return offer for full time um and when you accept that offer uh what you're doing at the firm that I was working at is, is you're saying, I'm going to come back next summer and go through a group selection process to figure out who I'm, which group I'm going to be with, uh, which group I'm going to be in for full time. Got it. Okay. And so was it, was it tough hours for that summer? Um, or more reasonable than what you hear at some of the other places? <laughs> uh, 70, 80 hours a week? It, it was, it was in that range. More um, or worse. You know, I, I think that it was, I was probably working longer hours than that, but it was probably my own fault or, or it was self-imposed. I think that, um, you know, it, in my mind, uh, the way that I was approaching it was I can handle anything for 10 weeks. So I was, uh, you know, I, I was um, staying in the office uh, super, super late, probably later than I needed to, um, definitely at a rate that wouldn't have been sustainable if, if those were the hours. It sounds like you're in the out. office for more like a hundred hours a week based on what you're saying. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yeah. Something like that. But, but yeah. I, I don't think it was, um, it, it probably wasn't because it was, uh, firm imposed. It was more, 
self-imposed out of when you say self-imposed were you like doing extra work for like on your own on the side or were you like asking for more work yeah you know i'm I'm more talking along the lines of the latter you know Mm -hmm. if i were to finish what i was working on at at you know midnight or 1 a.m um you you know it's it's that's probably good enough in terms of in terms of uh work ethic but i would uh you know i i would at 12 or one or, or whatever time i was about to leave the office i would you know go around and say to everyone hey is there anything that i can help with and you know when when you have a uh a tired second or third year analyst who has a pe offer and the intern comes around at 1 a.m and says like hey like can i can i do anything to help you nine times out of ten uh they're, they're gonna say like yeah, like here's all the things that you can help me with. So, so um, you, you know, kind of learning how to, um, you know, how to uh, be proactive in asking for work while also not burying myself was was something that I learned over time and that I wasn't quite uh, quite so polished at back when I was an intern. Yeah, it's almost like you don't know how to protect yourself or say no initially, and so you want to be you're eager to impress. Sometimes your work quality can go down if you're not sleeping enough, right? Um, yeah, that, that's exactly right, and and it's actually a little bit of a uh, of a funny anecdote is that I, um, you know, we had uh, as part of the internship program, we had um, like we went to an industry conference, and we had um, some law firms that that uh, that specialized in in various parts of the M&A process come in and do lunch and learns and things like that. Um, and I, uh, I remember that relatively early on, I was super exhausted from, uh, from being in the office really late the night before. And, and these lawyers came in for a lunch and learn. Um, and Did I just couldn't asleep? stay awake and I was, I was, I was falling asleep. Um, and uh, and and the intern staffer um, actually called me aside later that, that day and said like, oh, uh, like saw you were falling asleep. Like that's not a great look. And and I thought to myself, this was like three four weeks into the internship, and I thought to myself that like there was no chance I was going to get a return offer uh, or, or anything like that. I, I was super upset, but. Um, I think that was kind of the turning point where I realized that I needed to sleep, take care of myself a little <laughs> bit better and uh, ultimately was able to write the ship and get the return offer. Nice. So did you, and then when you were finishing your work at minute or one, did you actually go home and get like seven hours of sleep or something? <laughs> something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Good. So you're, um, you're kind of getting through this, you get the offer, you're super excited. Now you kind of enjoy your senior year or what, what do you like uh, coming back? your senior year yeah yeah i um i i I did do a pretty good job of um of not hustling too hard on my on my work my senior year you know like um it's uh it's kind of my personality that i wasn't gonna totally let it lapse and 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 coast but i also uh definitely you know when when presented with a thursday or friday evening when i had the choice between studying or, or or getting some quality time with um with my friends i think i did a pretty good job of taking advantage and uh taking advantage of the fact that i had the offer in hand and and enjoying my senior year 
That's great. So you started full-time. Was it similar to the internship or did you, did you know enough or like, what was that first kind of month, few months, like when you started full-time? You had to make, yeah, the, you had to make was, a move uh, to the West coast. So there was that. Right. Right. So, so, um, so, you know, I, I was out in San Francisco. Uh, like I said, we went through that group placement process. Mm -hmm. um, Any tips uh, for that for the listeners who have to go through something like that? Because I know that's it creates a lot of stress because they're like, I want to be in this M&A group or whatever group that's a top, you know. Yeah. Um, deal flow. And did you have I that? Mean, Were you like, I, you, did you know the, the, the groups that had the most deal flow and you wanted to be in those? Yeah. Yeah. I, I had some picture of it. Um, I realized that it's, easier to say now but uh you know as opposed to what my thinking was at the time but solve for um working with good people um meaning both people who are smart and who you respect uh but also people who um who have a reputation for for treating their colleagues well because you're going to be spending so much time with these people. How did you get that info? Uh, how, how do you get the info? Talking to, um, talking to the current analysts. Um, they, they were, at least in my case, pretty open about it. Like avoid this MD or <laughs> whatever. Run fast, run far, far away. So did you end up getting the group you wanted? And, and tell I me did. about the process. You were there for a good number of years. Tell me about kind of the progression of like from first year to second year to third year. And, and if you're willing to share a kind of a range of pay, that would be helpful too. Yeah. So, um, I, so, so I was, I was at that, I was at that first, I did three years of banking. Um, I was at my first firm, the middle market firm for, uh, for my full two year stint. Um, and then it was after that, that I, uh, lateral to, uh, to the bulge bracket firm as a, as a third year analyst. Um, the, in, in terms of kind of how the work changes over time and also how, uh, like the responsibility and, and compensation changes over time, I'd say that as a first year, um, and, and really, especially in like those first six months, um, most folks have a pretty good uh, understanding of the fact that you are pretty much starting from zero. You know, e even if you come from uh, a business background or you did an internship, um, people are understanding of, um, of, of mistakes the first time that you make them and, and they expect them and, and really the only expectation of you, uh, at least in my experience, was having a positive attitude and, and working hard and, and wanting to learn mm -hmm. uh, really for those first six months. Uh, and then I'd say that from there, uh, typically you've, um, you know, seen enough reps that the, the bar for your quality of work uh, reasonably starts to, uh, starts to increase. Um, and you also at that point, hopefully um, are, you know, if you're a good performer, you're starting to be trusted with a little bit more uh, meaningful work kind of on the analytical side, mm -hmm. uh, as opposed to maybe shifting logos around. Um, so PowerPoint to Excel, the, the transition. <laughs> right, right. The, the, the PowerPoint to Excel transition. Yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah. uh, so, so that was kind of the, you know, the, the first year. Um, 
And then in terms of what comp kind of looked like in the first year, I think that that my first year as an analyst was the first year that base had increased from 70 being straight to 85 being straight. Mm-hmm. Um, so base was 85 and um, bonus. And remember, this is a middle market firm. Bonus was, um, was about 75 percent uh of of base in the top bucket which is um, great mm, so were you top were you top bucket so around 60k ish <laughs> yeah. um so so that's that great was, that's great that's i mean for middle market shop especially that's a really good payday for for one year out of yeah. school um yeah, it was <laughs> clearing clearing 140 plus the signing bonus so you're almost clearing 150 yep that's right yeah um so that was that was first year and then Second year, um, you know, it, it's a lot like a continuation of the first year with with the biggest difference being that if, um, you know, if if the step up in responsibility from the first six months to the second six months was from PowerPoint to Excel, mm-hmm. uh, I think that from year one to year two, the biggest step up in responsibility is, is that if you're a good performer, you're going to spend... Uh, more time doing uh real day-to-day execution work with uh with clients on the more uh, on the more analytical parts of the transaction so not just doing the work in excel and then handing it off to your associate or the vp but actually working directly with the client uh mm-hmm. on things like responding to analytical uh, requests uh, did you were you doing that uh, yes. Yeah, so, so I started to get um, to get good experience working with clients more directly in that second year, really. Um, and from the perspective of of your kind of of, of your mid level bankers, the way that they think about it, at least in my experience, is that um, they typically uh, want to be do like your associate wants to be doing VP level work in a lot of cases. Your VP wants to be doing director and D level work in a lot of cases, uh, number one, because it's more interesting, but number two, because it's good for their career progression. Uh, and, uh, in that sense, uh, you know, in the perfect world for them, they want to give the junior person as much responsibility as they can reasonably trust them with. Mm -hmm. So, so that's kind of the, uh, at least from my perspective, how you think about when you're going to get new levels of responsibility it's really when you've proven that you can handle it cool and then the pay i assume the base is like a normal step up 85 to 90 or 95 and then the the bonus probably was closer to 100 percent or a little under probably 75 yeah, yeah that, that's right base stepped yeah. from 85 to 90 and then bonus was a little under yeah yeah uh, and then so what you know what's what was your thought process at this point you're it sounds like you're doing well um at the middle market, what's your thought process of going to a larger platform, a bulge bracket, tech M&A? Was it because you wanted to get in tech M&A? Would that, that was still interesting you or somebody in your ear telling you, hey, you should really go to a better, you know, better brand name um, for your resume? What, what kind of motivated that move and why not just go recruit for private equity? Yeah. Like everybody so, else. Um, like everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> so, so a couple of things. Number one is that... Um, and and I know this may be uh, shocking to hear for some people, but uh, I'm the kind of crazy person who uh, who actually 
liked banking um, for the most part. You, you know, it's it it has. I think, its, I, I, think uh, I found the title for the episode. He actually liked it. banking. <laughs> what was that? The title of the episode should be "He liked banking." He actually liked banking. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's great. Uh, but but, uh, but yeah, you, you know, I um, I would say that there was some part of me. I wasn't sure, but there was some part of me that was still considering being a career banker at that stage. Um, it wasn't something that I was set on, but I was considering it. And, um, you know, in terms of my rationale for making the jump, really the two main things were, um, number one, there was, uh, there was some uh, turnover at my middle market firm where I was working amongst people who I was um, amongst people who I had been working directly with. Um, and it, it was specifically some of the people who I really respected. Um, so uh, that led me to consider moving. And then um, the other thing that was compelling for me in terms of lateraling was that uh, as I was thinking about um, potentially having a longer term career in banking, um, it felt to me like working on larger and more complex transactions, whether, you know, whether in the long run I wanted to be working on large cap deals or I wanted to be working on middle market deals, at least uh, early in my career, having that experience yeah, uh, would be helpful either way. For sure. So tell me about that lateral process. What was it like? So you said, you said at the middle market, you kind of, what made you think about it was you basically some of the people you most respected were kind of moving out or there was some restructuring going on or whatever. So kind of pick your head up. How did you start the search? How did you even go? Was it recruiters? Just go back to your LinkedIn process of let's just talk to alum. Let's talk to anybody. What was it like? Yeah. So um, it's maybe a slightly atypical answer. I, I probably wouldn't recommend this. I like atypical. I've done 160 or 170 episodes. So I like atypical. I like when I haven't heard something before. Right. So, so, um, so I'm sure that if it had gone on, if my process had gone on much more than a couple of weeks, then I, uh, then I would have taken a more network focused approach, but actually like the first day, the first night that I said, maybe I'm going to start talking to some other banks. Um, there was a LinkedIn posting for, uh, uh, for, you know, experienced analyst job at one of the top bulge bracket banks um, right down the street from my current office. Um, I applied online and, uh, and like I, it was actually on my to-do list to reach out to someone who I knew uh, I tangentially knew someone in, in that office. My plan was to like reach out to them and, and try to, to, to use them as, uh, as a little bit of a backdoor in. Yeah. Um, but I ended up being super busy uh, at, my, at my current role. Like, and and I, I didn't get the chance to, or I hadn't gotten the chance yet to reach out to that connection that I had. But, um, but the firm that I had applied to, the Bulge Bracket Bank, mm-hmm. they reached out to me directly just based on the online application and said, hey, um, do you want to interview? Uh, and on the one hand, that sounds um, very atypical that you would apply online 
and get a response from a large from a large bulge bracket investment bank. But um, I actually think that um, that at least at the time, and maybe it has something to do with like not being in New York, uh, where there are fewer bankers in other markets. But um, it's not like there are tons of qualified candidates. Oh um, no, you're not. I, I, who are I laterling at the at the senior analyst? That senior level. analyst, you are so like in demand when you have two right. years of experience as an analyst. You're cheap labor. And then if they've lost a first year analyst and they've been struggling for like six months, they're at that point, they're super motivated to bring anybody in. They just, they're like, we need bodies. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. No, that, that's exactly right. And it's, it's hard to find. Yeah. And, and, and the other thing is that, you know, the, the group that I was joining, it, it was an M&A group that's, uh, that has a reputation for being highly, highly analytical. And I think that, you know, sometimes, um, Sometimes these lateral analyst roles, they're more open to folks who came from an accounting background or a Fortune 500 background. But yeah. in particular, this group was uh, was only going to hire someone who had a couple of years of investment banking experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, you know, that's maybe a little bit of the uh, uh, of of the the underrated factor that made it more likely that someone who was applying online who really had the right background was actually going to get a call back for this opportunity. This is what I always say to people is like, it, you know, whatever school you go to, you ended up at a, you know, you were a non-target East coast. You went to, you know, middle market bank. Um, and you ended up at one of the top banks because you, you use the right time to, to lateral. And like so many people don't realize this, but you're in ton, they don't care what school you went to or what bank you're from. As long as you're getting some good deal reps and you can speak the, talk the talk and you're ready to work. So like, everyone's like bulge bracket, like right out of school. I'm like, it doesn't matter. Like you can get, you can make that transition. A guy from my analyst class, Rothschild went, went uh, Rothschild Morgan Stanley uh, pretty easily within a year. Um, So if you want to trade up from banking to banking, it's actually not as difficult as a lot of people think. Um, Especially nowadays, there's first year analysts dropping like flies um, because they work, work from home. So I, I bet you there's like going to be a massive market for lateral hires this this year, um, and they actually may start having to relax some of those constraints of hey we're only going to take a banker to um, let's look at transaction yeah. advisory services or it may trickle down. A lot of the middle markets or or lower middle market banks may struggle retaining talent. But anyway, so you're you make that jump, you know, you do all that, and then were the hours much worse at this bulge bracket? And then why only stay for, um, looks like about a year from what I can see here. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, so, um, first question, uh, were the, were the hours worse? Um, the hours were, were pretty intense. I would say, um, it, it was a, it was a busy period. There was also, um, there was also a lot of, uh, a lot of junior, uh, turnover at that time in, in, in the group, uh, both in the M&A group where I was working as well as um, in the coverage group uh, that we mostly partnered with. Um, so, uh, you know, it was the kind of thing where, frankly, deals were coming in faster than junior resources were coming in. Uh, so, so the hours were intense, but but I'm super glad that I got the experience, you, you know, as I 
alluded to, part of the reason that I um, wanted to make the move was to get uh, kind of more complex deal reps, um, work on things that, um, that had more interesting structure, work on large public company transactions. And you, and you got that? Uh, yeah, I, I did get that experience. So, um, so, so did you feel was, like, did you feel like it was almost like when you peel back the curtain, it seemed more complex than it was and you got there and it actually wasn't that, that different? At the larger, um, or was I, it more I think complex? That, uh, it it is different. Um, it, it is different doing like a private middle market sell side mm-hmm. uh, versus, and you know, for the avoidance of doubt, like uh, a private five billion dollar sell side and a private two hundred million dollar sell side are, are pretty similar to each other. Mm-hmm. But in general, you know, comparing a private sell side, which is what a lot of my middle market experience was, um, mm-hmm. versus uh, you know a public company spinoff or yeah, uh, you know, a public company merger of equals. Um, I think that uh, definitely the the group that I was in uh, a fair bit of our um, a fair bit of our M and A work was more around things like separation alternatives for for large companies as opposed to uh kind of vanilla sell sides um and and i do think there was a a fair bit more to to a lot of those transactions interesting so why leave so soon from there yeah uh, and why why vc yeah um so you know if you if you recall from the start of the podcast i uh, my earliest career ambitions were, were really in tech. Um, and I, um, over time, what I realized, uh, was that both in middle market investment banking, uh, as well as, uh, bulge bracket investment banking, uh, the companies that I was working with, they were, um, largely uh, incumbents or, uh, even the ones that were challengers within the tech industry, they were really kind of on, on, on the flattening side of the innovation curve. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think there's anything wrong with enjoying, uh, working with those types of companies, but for me, part of why, uh, tech is so interesting, uh, is because of, uh, the way that it can add to, or, or that it can increase the size of the total uh, economic pie, if you will. So mm-hmm. uh, bringing net new solutions into the economy that change the way that uh, the companies do work or that change the way that, um, that consumers go about their lives. So uh, the opportunity to, uh, to work with those kinds of companies, again, um, as opposed to uh, these, these kind of larger companies was, uh, was really compelling to me. Can you tell me how you kind of approached that transition and whatever you're comfortable sharing is fine in terms of, was it again, just, uh, another online application? I assume not, um, <laughs> at this stage, but yeah, what, what was your kind of, how, how did you get that opportunity? Yes. So, so my in there was actually through, um, through a board member who had been a client of mine, uh, in banking who, um, I, I had worked with him on uh, on 
two different transactions and when they were uh, when they were looking to hire a junior person onto their team um, he he approached me and said hey we're we're looking to hire a junior person uh, do you know anyone and and I said yeah I do know someone can I interview for it uh, and uh, you know I, I went through that process I, I talked to a whole bunch of different folks on the team um, and it worked out. Any advice in terms of how to prep for like a VC interview versus like a traditional banking interview? Yeah, you know, an important, and it depends on what stage of VC you're talking to. That's mm -hmm. a very important distinction. Um, but one thing to note is that especially if you're uh, talking to uh, kind of an, an early stage or an expansion stage VC. So really anything from uh, seed out to series B or even C um, is that unlike in PE interviews where you're competing against a lot of people who, who look a lot like you, um, in these early stage VC interviews, uh, frankly, the banker has fallen out of fashion. Um, you uh, most of the people who you're interviewing against are coming from uh, product or end roles uh, at tech companies. And um, the, what that means in terms of how you have to prepare is that uh, you need to, number one, cover up your weakness relative to those candidates. And also, number two, uh, do a really good job of highlighting why your skill set is something valuable that those other candidates might not have. But so don't, don't they come back at you and they're like, yeah, but the math's easy, the modeling, there's no modeling here. It's all about like strategic. So what do you say to that when they come at you if you try to highlight some sort of financial modeling acumen? <laughs> yeah. So so, so I, I would say that uh the part of uh the part of the banking skill set that's uh that is transferable and, and that I would try to play up is not as much the financial modeling as it is um, the means of thinking about what makes a good business mm -hmm. uh, and what makes a good market and what makes a good investment thesis and how companies position themselves relative to each other. Mm -hmm. So um, that is, you know, while it's not necessarily uh, this skill set that a lot of people get into banking to develop, a lot of people get into banking to develop this broad financial analysis and financial modeling skill set. Um, I don't think it should be overlooked that you actually do get pretty good insight into uh, company strategy and what makes a business generally attractive to investors that someone who's in uh, more of an, uh, an engineering individual contributor role at a big tech company or at a hot startup uh, they may not get that skill set. Yeah, that's fair. So tell me in terms of your time there, I know you, um, whatever you're willing to share in terms of like pay, was it a pay cut coming from uh, bold bracket to, to VC? I assume maybe. Um, it was, uh, it, it was, so it was, I was, I was being paid less than I would have if I had stayed. stayed. Um, but the, uh, it, it was, pretty comparable to my uh to my like third year analyst pay. Were you all in? 
Okay, that's still really good. Were you thinking of staying or staying in BC long term? I mean, you you had thought banking is like potential banker for life here. Then you're kind of making a little bit going more kind of early stage and principal side investing. Was that something you thought um, this is something I might want to do long term? And then why why make the decision to kind of break out on your own? Um, so uh, you know, I think that people who go into uh, at least early stage venture. Um, you know, I, I alluded to uh, to the fact that most of the people who you're competing against are uh, are more from tech backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that's true at, at the junior to mid levels, and it's probably 5x more true at the senior levels. So if you look at uh, the partner level, in a lot of these firms, um, there are functionally n- there's functionally nobody who who didn't do uh, a stint as an operator, if not as a founder. Um, so, uh, I am super interested in VC in the long term. Um, it, it's hard to definitively say whether uh, whether I'm ever going to go back or not, but um, but just as someone who's interested in it at all, um, having uh, experience operating at a high growth startup is, uh, it's, it's, almost, uh, it's almost required, I would say. Um, and then the other piece of that is that, um, you know, when you're working at, um, at a top tier VC firm, you, know, you see a lot of founders and, uh, it, I'm, I'm half joking, but half serious when I say that every single founder who you look at, you have one of two reactions to them. You either say, wow, they're super smart and they're working on something super cool and I want to do something like that. And it gives you this founder FOMO to go start a company. Uh, or alternately, you say, God, like that, that man or that woman's not so smart. Um, and my firm, which is one of the top tier VCs, wrote them a check and <laughs> uh, like, I could do that. Like I could do even better than that. And, and you know, they're on paper worth a lot of money right now, like super lucrative. So, um, it, it, you know, again, half, half kidding, half serious. But w- when you do see that many founders and that many companies, it, it, you do get a fair bit of founder FOMO. How do you get comfortable? Somebody who's in banking, you know, for a while, it tends to be considered one of the most risk averse places to to earn a good living. You are earning a great you're earning a great living. How do you get comfortable going from, you know, a top post bracket bank, a top VC fund, and be like, yeah, I'm just going to go launch my own business? And I I hear you that like you know all the partners at the top VCs have this experience, but why not ride it out a little longer and uh, save up some more? Yeah, um, so that's a great question, and. And a lot of people uh, in my network, when I told them what, that I was going to go start a company, uh, they're like, they "Wait, hard on that." Yeah. Um, and I'd say that there there are a couple of uh, a couple of things that are maybe helpful as a framework. Number one is um, I was never somebody who wanted to get an MBA. Um, you know, I always. Um, I'm someone who's pretty analytically inclined and just the, uh, the, the financial equation 
of, of, of paying that much intuition and living expenses and opportunity you do, cost. Very, you do seem very logical you do seem very engineer yeah it, it, yeah. it, it the mba never made sense to me in that yeah. in that regard it's too soft of a it's too soft of a degree it's too it's too much about like um management rather than like hard analytical skills and yeah i i think that's a big part of it um and then and then what occurred to me as i was grappling with you know am i really ready to make this jump is like well i've never wanted to get an mba but do people do things that are crazier than what i'm about to do at this stage in their life or their career from a financial perspective and and from my perspective it, it was like Yes, like a lot of people who, who are in my cohort, they go get MBAs. And what's an MBA? An MBA is, you know, 200K, give or take, when you combine the tuition and the living expenses. And the way that I thought about it was, you know, if I go start a company, um, if I burn through 200K of, of my savings over the course of several years, gosh, like I'd really like to not burn through 200K, but <laughs> in a scenario where, uh, where we never get to any semblance of product market fit, we're never able to raise a seed round and, and kind of uh, you know, pay ourselves a, um, at least a, a, a living wage of a salary. Mm-hmm. Um, the worst case scenario is still like not as bad financially as getting an MBA yeah. and, and tons of people go and get the MBA. So, so that, that was helpful for me, I'd say is one thing. And, and obviously there's, there's nothing wrong. Like the MBA is right for some people. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it was never right for me. And that was just a helpful thing in terms of framing. Do you um, feel like, but um, also with, with work from home and COVID, it's also one of those things where the MBA has lost a lot of value even more like, you know, half half if not more of the value is not the pure it's not the education it's the connections you make and th- throughout the industry it's 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 very valuable for career changers you're you were already in kind of the, the space you wanted to be in the sense of like you're already at a top vc fund why or you know a top investment bank before that you're not getting a ton of value going getting a top mba and then just getting back into that same <laughs> same place you already were so it's almost like the the high risk, high reward. It was now was the time. Do you have a family now, like a wife and kids or anything? Uh, no, I'm I'm still uh, single in my mid twenties, trying to figure out how to date in a pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about that. Have you been able to go on dates at all? Um, uh, kind of. Uh, so San Francisco has been pretty. Uh, um, it's been pretty conservative with respect to COVID. The, the whole time things have been mostly locked down um but uh you know a couple of i've been able to go on a couple of dates just through mutual friends um outdoor dining stuff like that yeah so tell me a little bit about um well whatever you can so you you got comfortable with this kind of okay if i lose two hundred thousand dollars it's still do you feel like the education of actually running with this and managing a team and how, how did you think about building your, your number one let me let me rewind. How did first did you find your idea that you say this is what we're going after? Like, and you talked about product market fit. Tell me a little bit about like just how you analyzed the idea and how you said, okay, now I'm ready. Because it seems like you jumped pretty fast. Yeah, that's a great question. So so um, 
and it actually is is related to uh, a little bit of uh, the question that you asked earlier around how, as a risk averse person, you get comfort uh, doing something like this. Um, you know, without getting uh, too much into specifics, the the, the general problem space um, that uh, that we're building in uh, is it's something that I had. It's a problem that I had. Uh, encountered, I'd say, in a pretty lightweight fashion back when I was a banker. And then uh, when I was a VC, um, similarly, uh, I saw a lot of our portfolio companies dealing with um, with this problem um, and, and actually a lot of them experiencing it in very similar ways in a very uh, narrow time frame to each other. So, uh, you know, I am building in the enterprise space. I'm not building a consumer product where I'm trying to capture lightning in a bottle and, and make a guess as to, you know, what some new undiscovered consumer behavior is. Um, this is, uh, it, it is a problem that I've been able to uh, talk to a lot of potential buyers about how they experience it today what's working about their current solutions, what's not working about their current solutions. Um, and I was able to have a lot of those conversations uh, while I was still um, employed that, that helped me get the courage uh, or, or the conviction, if you will, to, uh, to actually make the jump. Very cool. It's exciting. So, well, we appreciate you sharing kind of your journey so far, obviously TBD on your startup and see how it goes. And um, it's still kind of early days, right? So uh, congrats on making that leap and um, best of luck to you. Uh, If I can be helpful at all, please let me know. It's it's interesting you talk about that because I was super risk averse, probably even more than you in the sense of I was working in private equity for about Wall Street Oasis was going for a good three, four years. And then on top of that, I went and got my MBA as another insurance policy. (laughs) So it was a good five years, uh, or almost four and a half years of, of running WSO before it was my full-time um, job. Right. So yeah, yeah. it's interesting. Um, but anyways, and anything else you want to share before we call it for the listeners? Anything um, that we left out or I forgot to ask? Um, I think that the, you know, in terms of, uh, in terms of advice from an elder, not that I'm old, but you know, maybe the the one thing that a lot of junior folks who are still in banking or, or who are considering going into banking asked me about um, is they say um, they say like how do I make the most out of banking or they say how do they say, you know, should I even do banking? You know, a lot of people are, are trying to, um, regardless of what they want to do after banking, they're trying to, to skip the banking step these days um, because some of those employers are more receptive to it. And um, I, I will say that uh, banking was extremely uh, formative for me. Um, I think that even though the space that I'm working in right now might feel 
very different from banking and it, it may be hard to, um, you know, hard to equate how the banking skill set uh, would be uh, relevant. I think that, um, you know, having put in my time in banking and, and having learned how to pay really close attention uh, to the small things, having, having learned uh, how to have kind of that killer work ethic from, from people who have been doing it for a long time. I think that that, uh, it shouldn't be understated as, as one of the benefits of banking, regardless of what you want to do after. I think that's something that's maybe gotten a little bit lost in the discourse. Whereas, you know, six years ago when I was recruiting for banking, everyone was, uh, you know, it was, it was almost a cookie cutter answer to the point where it felt awkward saying it, but people were saying, I want to go into banking to learn how to work super hard. Um, and I don't hear that that much anymore. Maybe because it doesn't feel that tangible, but that was like the best thing that I got out of banking. And it's something that I'm definitely going to be able to, um, so it's something that I employ regularly. Um, you know, my, my early customers, uh, in, in my new company, you know, this is going to sound, uh, it's not going to sound great, but they love it when they email me at 2 a.m. And I still sleep with my email alerts on and I reply to them right away. <laughs> like, um, you know, not, not everyone does that. And uh, that level of responsiveness uh, to asks uh, and, and that level of um, when someone gives you a deadline, just dropping everything and being able to do it. Um, mm -hmm. I think it's, it's an undersold part of banking part of banking for sure it develops that kind of uh that work ethic that's just hard to i mean any other job you typically go to will feel like uh, a breeze <laughs> anyways thank you so much for uh, spending the time and sharing your story with the with the, myself and the listeners absolutely thanks so much patrick and thanks to you my listeners at wall street oasis if you have any suggestions whatsoever, please don't hesitate to send them my way, patrick at wallstreetoasis.com. Until next time.